We're beginning a four-week series today called Reasons, and I'm pretty excited about it. I think that uh, you are too. I've gotten lots of good feedback and curiosity and interest about uh, this this series, and and the purpose in it is to to speak to the curious unbeliever, uh, and it's also to speak to the the believer who really wants to have their faith strengthened, not only for their own spiritual journey, but also so that they can more effectively communicate their faith to other people. And so I just want to say from the beginning, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, this, this series is not for the, the critic. Now, what I mean by that is it's, I have no intention of sharing a message series in a way that's going to come across as argumentative, or I'm not desiring to get into an argument with those of you that are critical of the reasons for the Christian faith. And the reason for that is because I do, do not believe that by logic alone and by reason that that will be enough to convince you to give your life to God through Christ. And, and so that's important. I, I do not feel the pressure to convert you. I certainly feel passionate about you seeing the truth of the gospel, the good news of the Bible. But what I believe is that the Holy Spirit of God is going to begin working on you. And if you're curious about the Christian faith, and that's the beginning of him working on you. Now, for those of you that are believers, uh, let me just say to you that I hope that this series will strengthen your faith and, and uh, more fully equip you to share it with others, as I've said. I want you to think about that for a minute, and to help you get there, uh, I want to uh, bring to your attention. There was an article in the in New York Times by a guy named Carl Greenfield. And the article was about faking cultural literacy. It was the idea of faking cultural literacy. So here's what the article said. It argues that today's social media lets us pretend to know something about things that we don't. And even if uh, we pretend to know, if we seem like we know something about a subject, um, if hard press, what begins to be exposed for some people is that they actually have very little knowledge of that particular subject, but they have a strong opinion about it. In fact, a survey was done, and six out of ten people who have a strong opinion about something going on in our culture have never done anything more than read the headlines of an article. And, and out of that have formed an opinion, a strong opinion, a passionate opinion, and, and uh, maybe they've read the... Uh, status update of their buddy or, or maybe an enemy, and it's helped form their opinion, but they've not done the hard work of, of really discovering the truth for themselves, and so they have uh, what's called, uh, they're functionally, culturally illiterate, but they seem like they know something. Well, there's this reality in Christianity, which we'll call faking theological literacy, where people who would claim the name of Christ, and, and certainly could be believers, maybe believers, probably are believers, uh, have in, this idea in their mind about certain theological truths that they would say, check the box off for, right? They would say, yes, I believe that, yes, I believe that, yes, I believe that, but have never really done the work of trying to understand why they believe that. And it's called um, faking theological literacy. And the reason that's important is because if your beliefs about things like the knowability of God are merely 
uh, checking off of a box of like, yes, I believe in the knowability of God, and it does not have within it some, some hard work and some study and some, some thought put into it, then what will happen is when you're challenged, your, your, what you thought was a strong belief will be easily thrown away. When you suffer, uh, there will be no substance there to the truth of what you have um, checked the box off for. And that's a problem. So one of the reasons that we're doing this series is, is to answer the questions of the curious unbeliever, but it's also to strengthen the faith of the believer so that you can have more than just like, well, sure, I believe God is knowable, but we want to give you something more than, than just a one-line statement. And I think it's going to be good for your faith. All right? And you say, well, who cares? Well, you should, and I should. Here's a statistic that ought to warm your heart. Did you know that two people somewhere in the world die every second? That's encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, since I began this sermon, you know, we've had several people die. And uh, the idea that is, well, the reality of the brevity of life should press all of us into the harder questions of spirituality and of life. In particular for today, it should press us into this consideration of the knowability of God. Can God be known personally? So with that in mind, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to get into my talk a little bit more. So God, I have um, already um, tried to bring to surface the the issue that there may be curious unbelievers, I pray, God, that your spirit begin working on them according to your will. And God, there are also people in here that are believers who want to have their faith strengthened. I pray, God, that you would have your way, and God, you'd help me. God, I don't trust in the inflection of my voice or the idea, to, the ability to string thoughts together, words together. God, I don't trust all of those things ultimately for something that has to happen here supernaturally. God, I trust in you. And so, God, I pray that you would do that. In the name of Jesus, amen. So get it, to get at the question, is God knowable, we actually have to talk about uh, two ideas. One is the incomprehensibility of God, so it's kind of a big word, and the other is the knowability of God. So here's the main idea that I'm going after, and that is this. God's knowability makes salvation possible, and his incomprehensibility inspires a life of worship. Here's what this means. You can know enough about God for salvation, but you will never know everything there is to know about God. This is so important. You can know enough about God for salvation, but you will never know everything there is to know about God. If you could know everything there is to know about God, then you would, in fact, be God. And if God is coming to this church and, like, sitting in that chair, I mean, I hope God is here in his spirit, but that'd be, that'd be pretty wild. We would worship you. So the more the beauty of these truths grip you, the more you're compelled to live a life of worship. Here's the reality of the day. The reality of the day is people do not feel like they ought to gather with other believers and worship God just because that's the thing you're supposed to do. I mean, those days are going over, especially in this part of the city. But when people begin to be gripped with a sense 
that we need God for salvation and God is so awesome that we could never fully comprehend who he is, then we will be moved to live lives of worship and gather with other people to be strengthened in living lives of worship. That's the purpose of the church. Now, I want to say that uh, my starting point here is for those who believe a higher power exists. So maybe you're here and, and you're unclear about all this kind of stuff, and you might say, well, there may be a higher power, maybe not, whatever. But, but I will admit, the starting point for my sermon is for those who believe a higher power exists. So I don't want to argue in this message for the existence of God. But what I will say is this. Everybody has a God that informs the way they see the world and the way they live. Everybody. And you may say, I don't believe in the God of the Bible, which you can say. But you cannot say that I do not live my life in a way that submits to something like a God and it informs the way I live. Everybody believes in a God. Everybody worships something. That something may be you. You may worship yourself. But everybody believes in a God. And the argument of the Christian faith is the God above all gods, the king above all kings, has revealed himself in a special way through Jesus. And the Bible is God's written word to us. But did you know that the Bible says that God has actually given evidence for his existence in the world that is available to everyone? So the evidence of the existence of God that's in the world is available to everyone just so that people can know there is a higher power. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. Who wants to read it? I'll read it. Psalm 19, verse 1. There's this passage here. It says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. All right, we begin to get in this idea that creation and things in creation begin to give a sense that there is a higher power. There is something outside of us. Just before I read the next passage, have you ever been somewhere so beautiful that just by observing it, there's something inside you that's moved spiritually? Have you? Most of you have. It's hard to find in Houston, but there are places in Houston that this is true of. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The they there are people that are ungodly and unrighteous and deserve God's wrath. So the idea here is that God has made himself known in creation. And that knowability of God in creation is not enough to save a person, but is in fact enough to justify God condemning people for their sin. And they have to give an account for the fact that they do not have not yet responded to God in faith through Christ. So I'm not trying to make an argument for the existence of God fully, but what I am trying to say to you is that, that uh, if you, for whatever reason, are here and you say, you know, I don't even think God exists, then what I'm hoping will happen is that you'll at least be curious about the possibility that God exists 
because of things you've experienced in your own life, maybe as you observe creation. If the idea of going to a place and seeing something so beautiful is not enough to convince you, maybe for those of you that have had children and or have been close to someone else's and you've enjoyed their children, there's something about seeing the wonder of a new birth that is very moving spiritually and begins to stir in us the sense that there has got to be a designer for this wonderful, amazing design. Is that enough to save you? No, it's not. We need a special revelation by God for salvation, which we'll talk about in a minute. So the incomprehensibility of God. God is knowable, but we can't fully know everything about him. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Romans eleven thirty three and 34, and then other places, and it's not on the screen, but listen carefully. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Not only do we want to consider the fact that God is incomprehensible. In other words, there's no person alive that can totally comprehend all that there is to understand about who God is. But no person can comprehend any one part of God. We can't fully comprehend his wisdom or his knowledge or his judgment or his thoughts or his ways. Uh, We cannot fully comprehend God. He is incomprehensible. Why is this? Well, because we are finite and God is infinite. He is unlimited and we are limited. It also has to do with the fact that our minds are flawed. Now, there are some really brilliant people in this room, and I'm not just saying this to patronize you. You are really intelligent. You've got a lot of ideas. You've had a lot of life experience. You can string together stuff. You can do geometry and algebra. I mean, you're really, really, really smart. But here's the reality. Your mind is still flawed. There are still things that are difficult for you to comprehend. You cannot think perfectly about every single thing that you have to think about in a given week. And the Bible reveals that this results from brokenness caused by sin. There are things that are difficult for your mind to understand. And so if there's a part of you that has a difficult time understanding this idea that God is incomprehensible or even a particular area about God, his wisdom, his judgment, his ways, his thoughts, or whatever, it's a revelation of the fact that you are, in fact, not God. And here, another reason that it's difficult to grasp all that there is to understand about God is that God has chosen not to reveal some things. In his sovereign choice, he's chosen to not reveal everything at one time. So the most brilliant theologian, the hardest working pastor, the keenest student of the Bible, has only scratched the surface of the knowledge of God. And here's why this is important. And for some of you that are here that are the curious unbeliever, you wonder how people can profess belief in Jesus as Lord and submit themselves to the way of Christ while at the same time not fully understanding it. Well, it's possible because the fact that we cannot fully understand it argues for our need to worship God Almighty. So some people cannot live in this tension. So a person might say, and maybe that's you, I don't fully understand it, so I won't believe it. 
Well, to you, and not trying to make fun of you, but to you, I'd say, do you fully understand how your car works? Most people do not fully understand how their car works, but you get in it believing it's going to drive you somewhere. Now, unless you're a college student and you drive a beater, every time you get in, you don't know. I mean, I get that. I've been there. But you see, you get into your car, you do not fully understand it. You may understand things about it, like I got to put gas in the gas tank, I got to put the keys in, I got to push on the right pedal to go, and the left pedal to stop. I got to put the dial on P for park. You, You get my point. You understand things about it, but you may not only understand all of it, but you get into it trusting that it's going to take you somewhere. That's how Christians think about faith in God, is we understand enough about it to say, you know what, I'm going to get myself in it and become a part of the story. We don't fully understand it, but we can live in that tension. And over time, as you begin to get more and more sense of how awesome God is, you become more and more convinced that getting into the story that God is writing through Jesus Christ is the way to go. In fact, there is a point at which you're so convinced and your faith is so strong and so deep that even though there's unknowns, that you are willing to lay your life down for this belief. So God is incomprehensible. We cannot understand everything about him, but the pressing question is, is he knowable? Okay, he's awesome. He's awe-striking. What in the world is the next question? And that is, can can we know him? Can we know him personally? Well, the atheist says that God does not exist, so knowing God is not even a reasonable pursuit. It's a shaking of the head, no. The agnostic says God might exist, but you can't really know for sure. It's a shrugging of the shoulders. I don't know. The secular humanist, which is the fastest growing belief system in my observation, says that God is whatever you think it is, essentially putting oneself in the place of God. It is the arrogant puffing up of the chest. And to those people, if you're here or maybe you're listening online, we'll listen online, I'd say, how is this working out for you? Is your atheism making you a more selfless, loving, and kind person? As an agnostic, what gives you hope in the midst of suffering? And if you're able to function with these ideologies, the, the Christian would say, what are you going to do when you get to the end of your life and you stand before God and give an account for your life? The only way that you'll be able to stand there and not deserve condemnation for your sin is if something has erased your sin, which we believe is made possible by Jesus' death and burial, resurrection, But if you stand before God, what will you do to give an account for your life? And I'm not not trying to be mean to you. I'm not trying to talk down to you. I'm just trying to be honest with you. So regarding the knowability of God, the Christian claim is this. Although we will never fully comprehend God, and that inspires a life of worship, God is knowable. 
So the atheist shakes their head no. The agnostic shrugs their shoulders, I don't know. The secular humanist puffs up their chest and says, I am God. But the Christian says, God is knowable. It's a yes. And it's the kind of yes that brings great joy with it. And the way that you know God is actually by way of a special revelation of God to us through Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm saying. Knowing God personally requires belief in Jesus Christ for salvation. We only know God because he chooses to be known. He is knowable because he has revealed himself to us in Jesus. And Jesus is knowable to us because he is shown to us through God's spirit. We know God because God has made himself known through Jesus. This is why Jesus is such a big deal. John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. The reasons Christians preach about Jesus is is a biblically informed conviction that knowing God personally can only happen through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is more than an idea. God is more than just an idea that a group of people called Christians are marketing in hopes of building organizations. No, God is a real being, one being in three persons. One of those persons became flesh in the form of a man named Jesus, and that Jesus let us catch a glimpse of who the Father is, in the way that he lived, the way that he worked, the way that he played. And eventually he died on a cross. And the cross of Christ is so important because the cross of Christ is the condemnation of an innocent man. So a righteous man was killed for the sins of unrighteous people. And through faith, there is a mysterious exchange where you can say, I accept the credit of righteousness by Jesus on the cross for my unrighteousness. And the way God has set it up, according to the scriptures, is that there is an exchange where our sin goes to him, his righteousness comes to us, he's paid for it on the cross so that we don't have to. This is the good news of the Bible. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So in this passage, Jesus is talking to Peter. And uh, Peter is one of Jesus' followers, is really is one of his three closest followers. And Peter asked, well, how can we know the Father? So he's hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus has said a lot of things that are uh, clearly, uh, and he's said and done a lot of things that are clearly a fulfillment of the, the way that the Old Testament talks about the promised Messiah, promised Savior. So Peter begins to kind of have an idea that this may be the Messiah, this may be the, the incarnate God. But he's still curious. So he's saying, Jesus, how are we going to know the Father? How are we going to know God? And Jesus says, you see me, you see the Father. So the way to know God is to know Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of God to men, which makes God knowable. And if you know Jesus, you know the Father. 
And all of this, the incomprehensibility of God and the knowability of God leads to two very important questions. I'm going to answer these two questions, and then we're going to be done. The first question, and an important question for every preacher to consider when giving a sermon, especially a sermon like this, is who cares? Everybody say it together. Two words. Who cares? I mean, you have that question. I get it. Here's who should care. Everyone. Why? Because every second, two people die, which means there will be a second at some point in your life where you die. And we like to think that that's going to be when you're old and gray, but you never know. Everyone should care about this pressing question, is God knowable? And as we have Try to understand that, well, God is knowable, but he is incomprehensible. We will never fully understand who he is. But the part of him that is knowable is so important because it, in fact, is a special revelation of himself to us for salvation. So we ought to care about knowing God. And beyond just the point where we go, okay, I know God has revealed himself into the person and work of Jesus Christ, I accept, and then you go on about your lives, but there's a sense in which we go, I want to know God more and more and more and more, and I want to live out of that. There's nothing more beautiful than discovering new things about who God is and being able to live out of that. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Who cares? Everyone should. God is knowable. A second question is what's my response? Well, the most appropriate response, and I set it out in the main idea of the talk at the beginning, is worship. And I don't just mean getting together and singing songs to God. Not all of you are into singing. And let's be honest, how many other environments are you in during the week where you get with a group of people, you look at singers, and you sing along? I mean, even if you went to a concert, chances are you don't go to one every week. There's something beautiful about singing in this way, and it's so important and sacred. And we see an entire book of the Bible that's a uh, a whole bunch of psalms that are sung. And so it's a beautiful, powerful time. But you may just say, well, I'm not into worship because I'm not really into singing. And you could say that. But when we talk about worship as a response to the knowability of God, I don't just mean singing songs. I mean submitting your life to God and saying, God, how can I live where I, where I work? How can I, I live in my home? How can I play in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Every single day. Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. What is a proper response to the knowability of God in light of the fact that though we can know him in a special way through Christ, he is so awesome, he is incomprehensible. 
it leads us to worship of God. So if you're not inclined to worship God, think of your life as worship during the week. Maybe it is that your view of God is too small. Which leads me to my next part of this idea of what our response is. The knowability of God should lead us to eager, diligent, devoted study of the Bible so that we can understand him as he revealed himself and so that we can avoid any false view of God that might dishonor him. And it is not enough to come to church twice a month. It's not. Three times a month. It's not enough. What you must do is commit yourself to the studying of God's word so that your view of the beauty and the awesomeness and the wonder and the majesty of God will grow. And out of that will become a life of worship that honors God. Now, I've said all of this, and if you're a real thinker and you're here and you may be skeptical about all of this Jesus stuff, you're wondering about these arguments that essentially I've made based on what the Bible says. And so if I'm you and I'm there and I'm a curious unbeliever, here's what I'm wanting to ask. Why are all your arguments made from what the Bible says? So you ask, how do you know the Bible's reliable? Curious about that? Well, we can either stay for 45 more minutes and I'll preach that message or you'll have to come back next week because that's next week's talk. Can I get an amen on the second option? Wow. (laughs) Trying not to be insecure right now. Um, Now, so next week I'm going to answer the question, is, uh, is the Bible reliable? Because what we've said here today about the incomprehensibility of God that inspires us to worship and the knowability of God, which is a way to salvation through Christ. It's based on some, I mean, certainly it's logical, but it's, it's based primarily on what we find in the Holy Scriptures. And you will not be moved maybe by that unless you begin to be convinced that the Bible is uniquely God's word to us. And so I'm going to answer that next week. All right, so let's think on and pray about these things. With your head bowed, I just want to talk to the curious unbeliever for a moment. Is it possible that you do not know everything there is to know about God? If it is possible that you don't know everything there is to know about God, is it also possible that the claim of Christianity, which is that God became flesh in the form of a man named Jesus who died on a cross and three days later was raised from the dead, that that central message of the Bible is true? And if it is true, is it possible that that is the only way that your sin will be erased. And if you say, I don't need any of that, 
then what I would ask you is what will you do when you stand before God someday? You would say, maybe you would say, well, I'm a good person. Well, let me tell you this. You're not good enough because at some point you messed up. The Bible says there's no one that is righteous, no, not one. It also says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is a way for you to be saved. And then as by, that is by repenting of your way and accepting the free gift of God through Christ. This is the good news of the Bible. So if your heart is stirred to believe that today, then what I would just say to you, you can do, is just tell God. Tell God that you want your sin forgiven and that you want to put your faith in Christ. For those of you that are the believer who wants to have their faith strengthened, I just want to ask you to have the courage to commit to God more fully giving yourself to the study of Scripture so that you can more clearly see what you have not yet been able to see or comprehend about God. And if there's an area of your life where you know it's not worshipful to God, maybe it's a public area or maybe a private area, if there's an area of your life that's not yet worshipful to God, maybe you would just say to God what he already knows, and that is that that exists in your life. God Almighty, we love you. And we want to respond to you. We want to think about these things. God, this idea that you are incomprehensible, it certainly does stir us in worship. And a type of worship is singing songs. And so God, even now as, as we sing this song to you, I pray God that we would more fully understand and grasp who you are. It would be awesome. God, thank you for the knowledge that you've made available to us through Christ. I pray, God, that that would be striking to us, the beauty and love demonstrated by that gift to us, God. We love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.